the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Buddy, the answer or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420, The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, beautiful day out there. And uh, let's start off with some Thomas Jefferson quotes because he's one of my favorites. Most bad government has grown out of too much government. I've never considered a difference of opinion in politics and religion and philosophy as a cause for withdrawing from a friend. These days, a little bit different. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. And then, of course, you've got to follow him up with Groucho Marx. Politics is the art of looking for trouble, finding it everywhere, diagnosing it incorrectly, and applying the wrong remedies. <laughs> Uh, what would we do without Groucho? Anyway, um, as I always say on the show, if you'd like to get into the material that we have, if you go to WHK's webpage, WHK1420, and go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show Tim Hayes, you go directly to my webpage. Uh, by the way, our, our insights on my webpage, there's a little uh, heading says insights. They're talking about Fed policy, economic, uh, you know, what's going on with the economy as far as yields, uh, environmental, social, and governance information. They also talk about, you know, some of the ideas they have, inflation, climate change, social justice investing, which is coming on big. Uh, so a lot of different things there. But we also have our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, our best idea list, small cap, large cap. And then we have our uh, portfolio of multi-cap stocks, everything. Uh, which is always a good one. Um, anyway, you know, uh, I, I was thinking uh, this week, and I, you know, I had a conversation with a gentleman, and uh, a couple, I had a couple conversations with people, and he kept saying, you know, I, I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, and I, I finally told him, I said, well, then you should get out of the stock market. Because <laughs> look, I, this is going to tell you something. Uh, Successful investing is about managing risk. That's why we talk about the bullish percent every week. It is not about avoiding risk because there's no such thing. You know, you may sit and look, I had a guy tell me that he was buying nothing but CDs. All he wanted to be is bonds. I told him you're a fool <laughs> because bonds, I've been in a 40-year bull market. The only way yields can go basically are up, Okay. You know, we, the, the stock market got really nervous because we went from 1 to 1.7. Imagine if we go to 5. You know, the 10-year Treasury average is 4.2% over the last 100 years. You know what happens to the price of your bonds when that go, those yields go up? And I tried to tell him. He, so back in Jan, I mean, uh, December, this guy bought all these CDs at 
like a third of a point in interest. I told them, you know, you buy yield when the yield is up and the price of things down. And uh, so he, he, he got a little bit uh, upset with me, but, you know, I just told him, I said, you know, 100% in bonds is not a great idea right now. 100% in CDs, because what are you taking? You're taking interest rate risk. There's always risk, folks, okay? So anyway, um, we had a great presentation this week. And if I may, uh, we had uh, Jeff Lanza, who's a former FBI special, special agent uh, for cybercrime. Uh, he's been on CNBC a couple times, and uh, he said there's three things you should be doing. Number one, protect your identity. Number two, watch out for tricks. Number three, protect your computer. Now, the other thing I want to talk to you about is this is the live show, and if you'd like to call in, it's 216-901-0945. It's 216-901-0945. So cybercrime, uh, the first thing he said, if you're over 60, you should freeze all your credit reports with Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, and Innovus. Just freeze them. Uh, now, you have to unfreeze them in order to apply for credit, but look, if the criminal obtains your social security number and he applies for credit cards using your ID, your credit history is there for him, okay? So he can automatically do it. If it's frozen, the application's rejected right away, all right? So you apply for an auto loan, you have a credit history, the application's approved. You lift the freeze with a pin, that's all. Then you freeze the report again, okay? So, you know, it, it's not that hard. Uh, you can freeze the reports online. Uh, all it takes is your social security number and to get a pin, that's it. So it makes a lot of sense and, uh, you know, I'll leave it up to that. The other thing is you should create your own My Social Security account today, okay? Uh, and you know, take it from there. So uh, when, if you get a call from the Social Security Administration, the chance of that being a real call is slim to none. So don't take them, all right? Your mail, you got to be very careful with your mail, all right? And especially you should, you know, I, I, when you're, you know, you're, you're looking at your checks and all that good stuff, you've got to take these things and you got to, you know, you need a secure shredder. You need a cross-cut, diamond-cut, micro-cut shredder, okay? Uh, and, you know, so just remember that there's there's a lot of stuff going on there. And, you know, for example, uh, there was a big a thing out there last week, and it said, you received a new message regarding the COVID-19 safety line symptoms when you get tested in your geographical area. And if you would have hit it, they would have got into your computer, all right? So you got to be very, very comp uh, uh, careful also with your emails, et cetera, okay? So they're going to try to steal your identity, take your money, and infect your computer. Simple as that. So um, I can go into much more detail. I sent this out for the people who are on my list, okay? My, you know, my they're getting my monthly newsletter, my weekly newsletter. I sent this out. I'm going to tell you, the Eternal Revenue Service will not send you an email They'll send you a letter. They will not call you. They will send you a letter if there's a problem, okay? So, uh, I mean, I could go on and go on and on. Uh, you got to be careful. You know, if you hit something, they could take over your account, you know, that type of thing. So uh, be very, very careful out there. Well, the Fed said basically they're dead. Long live the Fed. <laughs> uh, the days of a Fed preempting tightening monetary policy based on forecasts are over. 
That's phenomenal because the Commodity Research Bureau Index was down 83% from 2009 to last year. That's a big drop, folks. So these guys are swatting at inflation flies that weren't there. There was no inflation. There was no pricing power at all. All right. One of the problems is that technology, you know, we always talked about oil, okay? Prices of oil go up until technology takes over, fracking, whatever it may be. You know, they're drilling sideways to get oil. They're doing all sorts of stuff. So uh, it's the same with, with everything. Prices were going up, and then we had guys like Amazon drive prices down. You know, we have, you know, generic drug makers driving prices down. So, so they're not going to be preemptive anymore, which, you know, I think Alan Greenspan started that. I'm, I'm not real, I wasn't really a big uh, fan of his, but I can tell you that, look, one of the problems right now is that we went so far below, uh, you know, in the inflation outlook. And if you look, we were looking at really a, uh, less than a percentage point of inflation, about 0.8%. And now we're up to about two. So, you know, two is okay. The, the Fed can deal with inflation a lot better than they can deal with de- deflation. And what I thought was interesting was, though the, though the rise in Treasury yields has been historic this year uh, on a percentage basis, we think there may be room to, to run during uh, post-economic recoveries. The yield curve, as measured from a two-year Treasury to a 10-year Treasury, has steepened to about 225 basis points. And in the aftermath of the discussion, it usually has steepened to only 160 basis points so far, by the way. Uh, so it could go up a little bit more, but I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. And I also think uh, the ongoing decline in volatility may be a potential catalyst for equities. You know, we hit 19, and then we rallied right back up. So, you know, look, uh, during bull markets and, and during periods of high volatility, volatility, I'm sorry, uh, what you see is the volatility index usually comes down. It's been over 20 now for two years, two and a half years now, okay? So uh, it's been about a year uh, from from when the pandemic shut down. I mean, we're, you know, basically the 23rd of March was the bottom, okay? Uh, it shut down the global economy. Well, it's still a long way to get back. The overall economy is exceeding expectations, and I think that's something that's very, very important. Uh, you know, the economic surprises are, the positive surprises are up there. You know, it's it's been very, very positive as compared to like 2008, 2014, 2017, that type. And I think the U.S. has been overly generous uh, to stimulate, you know, the fuel for inflation. Uh, I mean, I look at this, this new uh, package, and I hate to be political, but it's a, it's the Democratic Party's wish list, you know, so uh, I wish they'd give more to the people. But, you know, I, I think you got to be paying attention here because, uh, look, there's, you know, what we're looking at is uh, yield curves that are starting to steepen. OK, now, under normal recoveries, we're about halfway to the interest rate high. So the question is, um, you know, are we continuing to go now? I said once we broke 150, which we broke, uh, we probably go we could go to two. One at 179, we're at 173 right now in the 10-year Treasury yield. 179 is quite a bit of uh, resistance, so we'll see if we get through that. Uh, don't know if we will or not, but uh, take it from there. You know, uh, we were talking about banks last summer in a big way, and uh, 
you know, uh, our Gerard Cassidy, our analyst, has really done well. And if you don't think our analysts are really good, uh, one of them just left to Evercore to become the head of uh, the entire uh, equity uh, equity uh, research group. And and another <laughs> was our, our medical guy, uh, a medical uh, device guy, and he just left to run Johnson Johnson's business. So these guys are pretty good at what they do. Uh, but U.S. banks... The impact of monetary policy and fiscal policy has been quite unique here. The government to monetary intervention was unique in three aspects. Number one, the massive deficit spending is still increasing, which is just crazy. The size of the quantitative uh, easing within the given time frame and right behind the government de- deficit spending is really unusual. And the government transfer payments, uh, you know, they, they did change things around on the SLRs, which are uh, uh, you know, reserves that the banks have to keep this week. And the banks sold off on Friday. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But I, I think if you look at the banking industry, they have more core deposits funding than it ever had. So they're in great shape. The core deposit funding and overall liquidity system will likely drive funding costs well below previous levels that, you know, uh, were for a sustained period probably. Now, banks usually do something stupid eventually, but I think for the next couple of years, you're in pretty good uh, shape. So the yield curve will likely continue to face upward pressure, which gives them a bigger spread. They make more money that way. And the other thing is net interest income will likely see tailwinds from lower funding costs and a steepening yield curve. That means the guys that give you no commissions, that's how they make their money. Okay. So, and then loan loss reserves, uh, releases appear very likely. So I think, you know, you, you could really have some big things happening with the banks. And, you know, and some of the, the new uh, banks, I should say. Look, a lot of people are searching for income, and I, I, a lot of people are looking at equity income, and I've talked about the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list on this show ad nauseum. <laughs> and I will continue as long as you listen to the show to talk about it. Dividend growth is a great way to fight inflation. Inflation goes up 2%, your dividend goes up 6%. And you're already in a company that's been growing at 6%, 8% a year for you know 20 or 30 years. That's important. All right? So uh, something to think about. But look, investors seeking income have traditionally looked to fixed income markets to source yield. And I, I, I think bonds have played an important part. However, uh, you know, you need some equity risk and you you know from the current interest rates because dividend paying stocks are another common source of income and um you know i just i keep talking about you know the 10 year treasury uh you know is we're looking at the real rates of return after inflation and they're below zero all right so i i think what you have to do is start to look at dividend growth and prime income lists to uh, be be my my idea a couple other things I'm seeing on the charts, which I'll talk about more in the next part, is uh, the real estate investment trust. I'm seeing a couple of those where we have insider buys and they're showing up on my charts. I'm also seeing some of the utilities have started to bottom and start to turn up a little bit. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave that as it is. Uh, I will say this. You buy yield when it's up. It's funny because CD sales are down in the last two weeks because interest rates are going up. So instead of people using the interest rates, you know, the, the, the move up in interest rates to buy, they're standing off. <laughs> Isn't that interesting, right? So you're looking at something that, uh, uh, 
you know, I think is you, you have to pay very close attention to. Interest rates are up. I, okay. Now, a lot of people have asked us about what our oil strategy is, and I think, I don't know if we have enough time or not, but uh, inflation has played a pretty critical role in driving commodity prices higher. It's proved to be a significant tailwind for the oil market this year. And as inflation concerns increase, investors allocate more capital towards commodities. As a matter of fact, commodities this week are just three votes behind international equities for second place in, in Dorsey Wright's dynamic asset level investing. So they're, they're voting by relative strength, if you will. Look, I think we're going to take a real quick break here. Uh, this is Smart Investor Show. Remember, if you've got a question, 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. Too. Uh, a couple things. Somebody asked me, uh, you know, the other day, I, I was getting, it's funny because I haven't driven my car in so long. I, I had uh, a couple flats, uh, uh, you know, that I had to have fixed. <laughs> so I was uh, having them fixed and one of my clients called me. And she was a little worried about the market. Uh, and this is a, a very sharp lady too, by the way. And uh, uh, so, you know, I, I, a couple things. Uh, number one, Hedge funds are a big time short still. All right. The fact that the VIX is up at 22, 23 tells me that most institutions are hedged to the limit. All right. Now I'm going to contradict that coming up, but we'll just leave it at that. One thing I'd like to say on a sad note, and this I called on this gentleman when I was an institutional salesman in Chicago with the uh, Lehman Brothers, uh, Richard Driehaus of Driehaus Capital Management died uh, this last week. He was one of the fathers of momentum investing. Uh, it was it was, uh, was about five, seven, had a big, uh, you know, red afro and uh, back in the days when I called on him and was one of the most intelligent men I ever met in my life. And, uh, he, you know, I, I called on him and a guy who was the, one of the deep value players. And so I've, I've got this, you know, what I call dividend growth portfolio and zingers. <laughs> uh so we, we do a couple, you know, uh, momentum guys, and we do some really good high-quality stocks, too. Anyway, Mr. Driehaus was a, was, a, he was a fine man. He was a great philanthropist, too, by the way. So anyway, we're talking about oil. So commodities as an inflation hedge was a theme that was featured very prominently uh, during the 2005 to 2010 period. But the recent years, we've seen low inflation and turbulent times in the oil market, mostly because the Fed's been very tight. Inflation concerns are back, and so is the oil market, but uh, whether or not the current cycle of rising oil prices become a major economic engine fueling inflation uh, remains to be seen. From an oil market perspective, irrespective of whether the market sees true inflation, simply the potential uh, perception of impending inflation has played a contributing role in the strength of the oil market. Okay, so uh, I just think you got to think about that. It, the question is, is there there's plenty of oil, right? But the fact that he, that uh, President Biden cut off the pipeline, uh, you know, means that America will probably have a little bit of problem with oil. Uh, so we'll we'll see. It, it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, if you look at the difference between West Texas and and then the and the dollar, I mean, they're moving almost 
exactly the same. Now, the question is the dollar done going down. And, uh, I don't know, you know, but uh, as the dollar rises, uh, so, so is an oil. And as the dollar declines, so does an oil. So very interesting thing. We'll see what happens uh, in the future. Um, so uh, some people asked me this, uh, this week, and I, I think it's kind of interesting, um, in my opinion anyway, uh, you know, what, what's happened to your biotech thing with all these institutions buying? And look, uh, everything corrected. Um, you know, the NDX and the um, QQQs, which are the smaller but heavily technology-oriented uh, indexes, were down 12 and 14% in a 10-day period, you know, and that's when the bullish percent went from 76 down to 60. Now it's turned back up, but it's back up to 76. So I don't think you want to be throwing the long bomb right now. But I did notice that a lot of, like the IBB, which is a, uh, you know, biotech ETF, came right down to its 200-day moving average and then turned right back up right away. Now the question is, will it hold? Um, you know, we, we, don't, we haven't seen a breakout yet. So, uh, but it, it is down 61 point. 8% or 9%, I think it is. So, you know, 66 would be uh, a perfect Fibonacci replacement and uh, retracement. And if you don't know who Fibonacci is, uh, you probably shouldn't be managing your own money. <laughs> All right. A couple other things I've seen, uh, and, and this is, you know, I look at something called the, uh, well, oh, first of all, I did see quite a few uh, REITs uh, where the, the relative strengths uh, versus the S&P 500, it's turned up and, you know, they've broken down trend lines and things like that. So uh, that's that's been important. And the other thing I've noticed is uh, on, on my machine is two things I don't like um, is when an index hits a new high and some of my indicators don't. All right. So one of my indicators is uh, a PMO, price mo uh, momentum oscillator. Uh, you know, Rob Schleimer calls it a little bit different, but I did notice that, you know, we hit a new high and uh, the PMO went over its 200-day moving average, which is kind of a sell signal. The other thing I noticed is that both it and uh, and the, um, well, we had a couple of divergences on a couple of different indicators. The PMO is one of them. Uh, so, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem. For now, okay, uh, it, it indicates that things are not as good as they look. You know, we got a new high, but we've got the PMO hitting a new high. We've got the on-balance volume, which is another indicator I watch very closely. Uh, these are all making lower highs. That's not what you want when the stock market's hitting a new high. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, uh, keeping it from there. Now, uh, I also read a great article by Ms. Schneider, and she's really a bright lady. Oh, man, she's... She's one of the better technicians out there, I think, personally. And uh, she, uh, she talked about sugarcane. You know, sugarcane's uh, being an inflation indicator. And sugarcane's in a nice gentle upslope, but it, it does, it's not, you know, shooting up north. So when that starts to shoot up no, north because it's used in so many processed foods, uh, that's when you start to worry about inflation. So that hasn't happened yet, so we'll watch out for that. Uh, so, you know, I, I was looking at things, and I guess the trend is advanced, but it's you know there's no, you know, meaningful tech, technical uh, evidence of a peak yet. Uh, 
you know, we're starting to see some things break down a little bit. So that's, you know, I think uh, the, the advanced acceleration from the lows in the, the fourth quarter of 2020, equity markets remains in kind of a resilient uptrend. Uh, you know, we're in this four-year cycle, okay? It started in March and of last year, so we're on the first year. And the four-year cycle is normally an up cycle, and it's usually a pretty good ride. Uh, you know, look, some of the short-term indicators – uh, have a lot more room to, to run. I'm just pointing out a couple that I'm seeing that, you know, bother me a little bit. Uh, but these four-year cycles tend to be, you know, wonderful within a bull market, all right? doesn't mean that, you know, we can't go down, but, you know, it, it, you know, the first quarter of 2016, the first quarter of 2020, that's when the collapse occurred. So now we're one year into it, and usually these, these have pretty good size moves, okay? Uh, you know, for example, in 2016, uh, we were at what 1800 on the S&P 500, and then we we peaked out at uh, 2800. So a thousand point move on the S&P 500 is a big move. Okay, so um, the the good good news is if you look at the S&P 500 relative to bonds, it looks great. All right, so uh, something to think about. Uh, now some of the things that Rob Schleimer looks at, like the quadrant balance uh, indicator. Uh, is, is down and out and could be turning up, but the weekly momentum, you know, is kind of, it needs to, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's above uh, zero, which is meaning that's probably a little bit overbought. So, uh, but if you look, the daily momentum's building, which, you know, so there's all these confluence of events that's going on here, but daily momentum is building positively from oversold levels. And, and I don't think it'll peak and probably till the end of March, um, you know, they say go away in May, come back all Souls Day, right? right? But what's really positive is I look at the advanced decline line, and I look at the New York Stock Exchange stock only because there's a lot of bond funds in those, okay? And the stock only, it looks great. There's there's no evidence of the end of the world yet, uh, that's for sure. And I think the other thing is, and, and uh, Tom Lee over at uh, Fundstrat always talked about this, and he said the volatility is extremely high. Uh, and it stayed up here, you know, for two years now. So from 2000, basically, uh, the, the first quarter in 2000, when it spiked from like 16 and went spiked up to 45, it's been above 20 now, 22 actually. It, it just ticked under 20 just this last week for a brief second to 1993 and then rallied right back up, by the way. So that, that's what gives me the hope that we're, you know, once you, you break down on volatility, the market tends to go up pretty significantly. So now one thing I will say is that the percentage of stocks above the 50-day moving average and 200-day moving average is pretty high, about 80%. So usually, you know, you start meaningful big moves uh, once, uh, you know, those things pull back a little bit, okay? Uh, and like I said, I think, you know, you just look at the VIX and it's, it's near the low end of the of the range it's been. Uh, so if it breaks through here, you know, that you could have a big move up. Now, the question is, is it going to be growth versus value? And, and growth is way above value right now. So I think value is going to continue for a while uh, if you look at the long range. And the other thing, the high beta index is uh, doing much better than low volatility index, which have been popular all during the Obama things. But it looks like we're doing Obama 201 coming up here. So, uh, um, you know, you, you might have some problems there. Um, 
The other thing is bond ETFs are all at major support, so it'll be interesting. And the dollar is at decent support. It looks like it could go down further to me, long run. Uh, hey, let's take a break. Remember, if you have a question, the number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. tuned in this is the smart investor show and uh you know we, we always talk in the third part of the show about uh the bullish percent and uh the bullish percent is our main risk guide remember successful investing is not about it's about managing risk not avoiding it okay so let's let's go with that again um and w- look uh, march 19th yesterday uh was the first quadruple witching hour of 2021. That's kind of interesting because uh, I didn't see the volatility index go crazy or anything like that. Um, as a matter of fact, it did break to 19, I think it was 50, and then rallied right back up to 22, 23. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. But the bullish percent was uh, was designed by a gentleman who uh, worked for Charles Dow. And what he wanted to do was be bearish at the top and bullish at the bottom. So when everybody else is frightened, he's greedy. When everybody else is greedy, he's frightened, okay? And so what he did was he came up with a chart from zero to 100. In a column of X's, you have the offensive team on the field. We are in a column of X's right now. However, uh, he has, there's a column of O's means there's distribution. Distribution means there's higher risk. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to sell everything when you, when you fall into a column of O's, okay? Uh, stocks do hold up. And if you've done your charting and you've done your homework as far as the fundamentals, that's what we're trying to do on this show, add fundamentals and charts. So we're timing the best ideas from our analysts. Okay. That's what we're trying to do here. And uh, so there's two key areas above 70, which is the red zone. That's when everybody's, you know, greedy and below 30, which is the green zone, which everybody's depressed and, and, you know, drinking a lot more than they should and, and uh, you know, the parties aren't being held and all that good stuff. Don't look at your 401k statement. We go on and on. Anyway, right now we're up 8.7% this week to 74. I, I thought it was 76. So for my clients I talked to on Friday, I apologize. I looked at the wrong thing. We're in a column of X's, but remember we're over 70 now. So if you're going to play the game, Hand it off to the fullback. You know, you make sure he's got both hands on it and you, you don't want to fumble here. The over-the-counter index, which uh, it, we're in a column of X's, by the way, so you do have the offensive team on the field. And the same with the over-the-counter index, but it, it was up 8.6% this week to 58. So over-the-counter, small cap still okay, all right? Uh, it wouldn't reverse back down to 52, so that's kind of interesting. The the world index is in a column of O's, so uh, this is mostly a, a, a North American uh, scenario, shall we say. But so we saw a rebound in a couple of major indicators. Uh, the bullish percents, uh, we saw two reverse back up, and that's the New York Stock Exchange and then the over the counter. Uh, now, what's interesting is the NDX and the QQQs. They got killed in a 10-day period, and they went from over 70 down to 24, and they're just 
at 30, I think, as, as I speak. So it may be interest rates are peaking for the short run and they, they fall back and then these things rally. So, uh, you know, they've been buying, I mean, it's been nothing but regional banks and oil stocks for two, two or three weeks now. So it'll be interesting to see if they, re, you know, they pull back while these uh, other names uh, rally back. Now, I thought it was interesting. There was a couple calls uh, uh, on a name we had, you know, big insider buying, and then that's Intel uh, this week. And it, it'll be interesting to see because Intel, you know, really has not gone anywhere. Uh, but there's been some big insider buys there. So we'll see. Yeah, and I'm not recommending it until, by the way, we're very neutral at it. Um, the dynamic asset level investing, we did have some interesting things here go on. You know, domestic equities are still number one. They have 316 votes. But international equities and commodities are just three votes apart. As a matter of fact, you know, if I was asset allocating, I'd have 23.4% in international equities and 23 in commodities. That's how close they are. Uh, you know, currencies are last, cash is second to last, and fixed income is right behind that. So fixed income, you'd be down about 14% this year if you uh, bought uh, bonds and they weren't being hedged or whatever, okay? So it's interesting, the number of uh, uh, votes we're getting uh, for commodities, you know, they, they ran into second place with uh, just two votes ahead of international equities, and now they're four votes behind. So we'll see what happens there. Um Probably the bigger theme I think you see, and in, 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 in our friends at Dorsey Wright provide us with this, by the way, and the bullish percent, uh, it, in their dynamic asset level investing, which is relative strength investing is what it comes down to with a couple other additives. But one of the things that we're seeing is the risk on asset classes are residing in the top three positions. So, like I said, it, successful investing is about managing risk. So if if that's where the money's flowing. That's where you got to pay attention. All right. So I did notice a couple things like, uh, you know, First Trust has a, a, a large cap core Alphadex fund that looks kind of interesting, you know. So there's some there's some stuff out there that, uh, you know, it, it this thing crossed above the S&P 500 as far as relative strength is concerned. So we're starting to see, you know, more of the core stocks do better. And we'll see if that continues for a time. But we, we have had the... Uh, the, the the Dow Jones really lead the way here because uh, we've had uh, the emerging markets been weekly momentum has been negative for a while, although they're holding up. The prices are holding up. And it doesn't get more bullish than that when you have weekly momentum that's negative and the stocks hold up. Uh, and it's, it's like the EFA, which is the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, which is the big, large in, uh, institutional uh, foreign stocks. They've been negative for 13 weeks, but the price hasn't varied that much. Uh, we've had, you know, the, the small caps and mid caps have just been negative for about a week. Uh, and uh, But we ha are seeing the equal weight index do better than the QQQs, the SPX or SPYs, and the XLGs, which are the larger names, okay? So I think the, the smaller names in the uh, equal weight index, you know, they get one vote for each stock. It doesn't matter what the capitalization is, like the S&P 500. So the the bottom 200 or 300 are probably doing much better is what my guess is, okay? Uh, but we did break a double top, and, and we completed a, a bearish signal reversal on the S&P 500. Uh, and, and, you know, we hit 339.50. Uh, you know, so we broke through, 
you know, so it's interesting. I don't have anything to say that's really negative. I just saw a couple of divergences, as I mentioned earlier. But even the, uh, you know, if you look at the small cap index, it's it's gone, it's soared uh, up, you know, it was 97 just a month ago, and it's up at 114. So uh, it's done better than the QQQs or uh, some of the, uh, uh, a lot of the technology stocks got beat up pretty bad. And, and by the way, they're right at, uh, a lot of them are at uh, Fibonacci retracements level so you should pay attention there but it has been the dow that's been leading the way all right so the big names have been leading the way and that's something to pay attention remember there's only 30 stocks in the dow jones industrial so um now you know i also think that you know that you you look at the um the equal weight index and it's got to be the bottom three so we've got the dow and then a bunch of the laggards making up okay so it's not the main stocks in the s p 500 it's the supporting cast, <laughs> all right? Uh, and, and the mid-caps are in the same same boat, all right? We're seeing mid-caps, they just, they've just soared. Uh, and they've done it on negative momentum. You know, there's I said this last week, I'll say it many times. There is nothing more bullish than for prices to go up. Nothing more bullish than for prices to go up. It's that simple. Anyway, uh, the sectors, uh, yeah. you know, we had uh, 21 sectors that were favored this week. So, unfortunately, once again, we've got, we've got most of our favored sectors are very overbought. So, we're going to start from the most overbought. So, you want to wait on these, but you write them down. Banks are at 94. Restaurants, savings and loans, building, textiles, and insurance are 82. I would wait on all those. I would still wait on, and at 77, uh, no, 76, I'm sorry, is machinery, aerospace, force and paper products, chemicals, transportation, steel. This is all value stuff. Uh, I'd wait on those. At 70, I have oil services, leisure, oil, business products, and gas utilities. Uh, at uh, 64 is financials. Um, that's a place where you could pick some ideas. Uh, and then I, I saw a couple that I liked. And non-ferrous metals are at 50. Semiconductors, which were 20 last week, are now up to, to 50. Uh, so they're no longer the deal they were last week. I did buy a couple uh, for people who didn't own them. Uh, but anyway, I did see a lot of movement uh, in, in the groups, um, which you know usually means that uh, you know something's going on that we don't understand. But housing, which was very favored, is now to unfavored status. Protection services which was, you know, in the, they, were in the, they were at the bottom, have moved up a couple uh, spots. And food, which would, had been very favored, had moved down to average. And insurance picked up, even as high as it was, you know, it's 70, 80 on the, uh, on, the, on the chart. So you really like to buy these things when they're below 30, but we haven't had that opportunity for a while. Uh, so it, it, it's hard, uh, especially with a bullish percent over 74, to figure out exactly where to go right now. Internationally, uh, I'm going to talk about this again. You know, on the on the point and figure chart buys are South Korea, to- Taiwan, Netherlands, India, Sweden, Finland, Australia, South Africa, Norway, Indonesia, and, and Ireland. By the way, I thought it was interesting. On St. Patrick's Day, uh, I saw two Irish ETFs break a double top. <laughs> so for all you Irishmen out there, I am one. So it's uh, uh, there we go. The luck of the Irish, right? Uh, as far as the 10-year yield is concerned, I mean, we, you know, we broke to a new high. 
uh, broke a double top at, at, at 16, and we broke another double top, and we're, uh, we finished at uh, 17.3 on Friday. Um, you know, like I said, uh, there's a lot of resistance at 1.79, so it'll be interesting if we get through there. If we do, I think we're going right to two, I and mean, it'll be fast. The 30-year Treasury index is, is kind of the same way. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it completed a bullish triangle, which is a very positive you know, thing for the yields. So uh, it would be interesting to see, you know, I mean, look, I, I heard some, some people talking, uh, I, I read, I should say, on Friday that, you know, the yields are going to stop here for a while and pull back. And I, I, I don't know if that's going to be the case. But uh, copper has been positive for a couple of weeks, but uh, gold's been co- negative for nine weeks. So it's, it's pretty, been a pretty uh, long period of time. And then uh, the, other, the other thing we want to talk about really quickly is well, relative strength changes. Remember, that's just your stock compared to the S&P 500. But we have cross-country healthcare, Enersys, Glacier Bank Corp, Harvard Biosciences, Consolidated Communications, Imperial Oil, uh, National uh, Cinema, uh, Ramco Gershon, uh, Schnitzer Steel, and Scorpio and United Airlines. Uh, well, and some of the Liberty Latin America and Liberty uh, Latin America Class C. Uh, and Jay Jill showed up. So let's take a break. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. We'll be right back. Uh, 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. Okay, we're back. And if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. And uh, so we always, what we've done is we, we've talked about uh, this way, cyber safety first. And then we talked about the fake economy. And then we've talked about some technical stuff. And, and now we're going to talk about insiders because insiders are smarter than us because they have the information in hand. Uh, now, I, I did, uh, you know, I talked about, I was going to talk about a company called Clovis this week. Uh, and I always said that insiders are, very early. Well, they bought this week, and this week the stock was up two bucks. It's five dollar stock up two bucks. So, uh, so much for being early. <laughs> we won't talk about that uh, from here on in. But it, we did have um, Dave Ramsey, who is a very smart guy, uh, buy quite a bit of Sabra. Uh, he's a director there. He bought about a million dollars worth. But we also had. Um, couple other guys buy stock in, in one, two, three, four, like six or seven directors and the CFO and a couple other people. The CFO bought uh, like $100,000 worth of stock and a couple other people bought a million, you know. So uh, Sabra uh, is a little biotech, like $2 stock, you know, so it's for uh, it's not for widows or references, they always say. Um, but we had a couple here, Fox Corporation. We had Keith Murdoch, who happens to be the chairman, at a new high by $21.4 million worth of stock, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, we also had uh, a new issue, Prometheus Biosciences, which has some pretty smart people back in it. And there's Point Seventy Two Biotech, uh, which is a former 10% owner, bought 800,000 shares after the new issue. And Comoran Asset Management, which is also a former 10% owner, they bought... $7.1 million worth of uh, stock and uh, one more somewhere. I uh, can't find it. So there's one more that was out there, uh, which is always positive. And then, uh, oh, I'm sorry. 
our friend Keith Murdoch, uh, who's the executive chairman, uh, also of News Corp, uh, bought another t- bought ten million dollars with the News Corp. So, I mean, it tells me Avril Grace Glazer uh, bought eight point two million dollars worth of uh, HC two Holdings, which is a little telecom company. He is a director there. And then uh, we had this last week, uh, Penny Mac Financial Services. Uh, we had several people buy, and MF Partners bought uh, 4.6 million, and uh, Farad Nanji uh, bought 4.6 million too. And uh, this was Fear uh, Reed Holdings, which is uh, an internet company. And Joe Walsh, who's president and CEO, CEO bought 3.7 million. I don't think it's the guitarist. Um, and then we also had Patrick O'Brien, uh, Merchants Bank Corp. He bought three million dollars worth. There were several buyers. Uh, and then, by the way, two days later, he bought another million dollars worth. But there were several small buyers of it too. Um, so uh, Susan Cursor, she bought two hundred thousand, and, um, and uh, there was another guy who bought a hundred thousand. So you know, you know, a couple of buyers here and there, which you always like to see multiple buyers, uh, much better than just a single single buyer. And then um, also. Uh, Keurig, Dr. Pepper, at a new high, we had uh, the chief strategy officer, Justin Whitmore, buy $1.2 million worth. And then uh, here's another one, Marker Therapeutics, which got killed and then rebounded on the insider buy. Uh, Juan Vera bought a uh, million dollars worth. Um, and then uh, a couple others, Biohaven, we had, uh, you know, which has been just getting killed, was like a $98 stock, is now 70 Uh John Childs bought a million dollars worth. And then also uh, Joan Common Stock is a specialty retailer. The president and CEO uh, bought $660,000. And, and Terry Constantine bought uh, uh, Apartment Investment and Management Corp. We're getting back to, to REITs here because I've been seeing quite a few of these. Uh, he bought it three times, uh, each time about $570,000 worth. Uh, a couple other names. You know, we mentioned Oracle last week. It was a buyer there. We've got another buyer. You know, Oracle pulled back uh, on the, the news, and we had another buyer, and it's uh, a director that we know. And then uh, Tupperware, which is a name we haven't talked about in a long time. Uh, we had two gentlemen, and the chief executive officer and executive vice chairman, each buy about $500,000 worth, which uh, fits into our little our thing. Also, uh, on Prometheus, I forgot, uh, Joe Papa, who's a director, and also Mark Stenhouse is the chief operating officer, also about $300,000 worth of stock too. So, but uh, so multiple, you know, um, in, in Joan Holdings, uh, saw multiple buyers there too, uh, you know, a bunch of hundred thousand, $120,000 uh, buys. So you always like seeing that, uh, you know, uh, uh, numerous buys. And, uh, we did the same thing with, uh, orthopedics. Uh, we had three or four buys there. Uh, so nice. Nice to see that, is, uh, especially if you're an owner and the stock's down. Um, also, Dropbox, uh, Dave Batchelor bought about a million dollars with the stock, too, and that stock's been kind of on a run, so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, where we go from here. Uh, we, we also had uh, Uber. Uh, now, these guys use their um, – uh, they, they used um, – I'm sorry, options to buy, but there was six buyers. The CFO bought 51,000 shares, and four others bought between 40 and uh, and four and 20,000 shares each. So that's a lot of stock. And also, uh, uh, there is uh, uh, SAII is the symbol, is uh, 
a small company uh, by the name of Software Acquisition Group, which is a SPAC. Uh, there was a couple, a very large company by 2.82 million. They're a major hedge fund, which is always good. So there we go. Now, uh, a couple things I want to talk about is, uh, you know, if you look at growth versus value, and I think this is important, uh, on a daily chart, growth has fallen down. Uh, on a weekly chart, it's still way above where it's, it's zone. On a monthly chart, you know, the, the uptrend line is, is still another 20% down, okay? So these things could literally uh, do nothing, you know, uh, or go sideways or go down for another year or two, and value would have to catch up to them, okay? So that's something you have to remember. I also think uh, if you look at the relative strength on the 10-year uh, yield, okay, I'm looking at the yield, not the bond now, okay? Um, we're up in the 70-80 area, and, you know, it's hard to – it could stay up there for a while. Uh, you know, how much, you know, further do we go? Because not only the weekly, but the daily are at overbought levels, which is just uh, – you know, we might be coming to a near-term perk, a peak, I'm sorry, in yields for you know, near-term now. I don't, I'm not saying it's, it's done forever, but, in, you know, that's what I was looking at today uh, on my charts. Uh, you know, I look at charts every day. I mean, I literally looked at thousands of charts this morning. So that's how I, uh, I do it every day, and I, that's how I get prepared, uh, you know, from 6 to uh, 8. You know, you can't talk to me because I'm, I'm doing charts. Now, the, the one thing I will say, and everybody talks about the dollar and how strong it's been, and you, you forgot that it peaked back in 2000, uh, I don't know, was it 16, and made a lower high in 2018. It also broke its uptrend line in 2020. So uh, it, it's going to take a lot, I think, to fix that. It's not going to be fixed overnight, okay? And I, I would suggest that, you know, we could have a near-term bounce. I don't know if that'll be – a long-term thing or a short-term thing. And I think you got to remember that, uh, you know, uh, because if, if the dollar sells off, commodities will get more attractive. If the dollar rallies should be the other way. Now, you know, a lot of people have been asking me about gold. And look, the one thing I'll say is daily momentum has been negative since August of that, that last year. And it's a long time for momentum to stay negative, okay? So I think daily momentum may be bottoming here. Uh, it's at support, but it, it did what is known as a undercut so far, meaning it broke below support for a short period of time and then bounced back up. So it'll be interesting to see if gold turns back around. It does look like they're using Bitcoin versus gold, okay? Uh I don't know if Bitcoin's a inflationary thing. I, I'm not even sure what Bitcoin is, you know. So it's a, I got an idea. Uh, it's it's an alternative, is what it comes down to. So, um, I, you know, I, I do think uh, you're, you're having some problems here. Is that you know I, I looked at technology, some of the technology ETFs. A lot of them are breaking support. Uh, now, if it just breaks for a day or two, that's fine. But industrials seem to be bottoming. Uh, they tend to be emerging. You know, same with. Uh, you know, materials are the same way. And energy is very over overbought short term, so I'd be kind of, you know, careful on it. But remember, uh, you know, I, I think you got to look at, you know, when you have a early downtrend, 
what seems to be the technology right now. Uh, the question is, does it become an established downtrend? And that's, uh, I'm not sure about that. But look, uh, if, if uh, we were right, and, you know, we, we talked about this uh, at, at nausea in the spring, uh, you know, there, there is uh, a scenario where we're talking about this digital transformation. Now, once everybody gets off, you know, these vaccines are out and COVID goes away for the most part, you know, I think it's going to be like Woodstock, okay? Everybody's going to be there, okay? Wherever it is, they want to be there, okay? Now, the question is, does the digital world go away? And I don't think that's the case. In the meantime, uh, look, go to my go to WHK's webpage, WHK1420. Go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes. Dividend growth portfolio, dividend stocks have underperformed. They're at the low end of their valuation range. They look great. Prime income list for you guys who are looking for income right now. You know, prime income list is four plus percent. All right. The business owner's guide to transition, savvy credit invest, investors workbook, uh, <coughs> women and wealth. Uh, it's a planning workbook, all available to you. our top ideas, our best ideas, our multi-cap index, our small cap index. They're all available to you. So grab them. Uh, I, I also take phone calls to, uh, to my office. So um, anyway, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Have a great weekend. Don't forget to buy low and sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.